prayer that you just sang to God. I give myself away so that you can use me. Uh, We're coming to the conclusion of a series called Ripples, and it has uh, uh, tried to flesh out, uh, tried to unpack for us something of what our vision statement says. And our vision statement uh, says this, that our vision is this, to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time. Every one of us seeking to daily look for opportunities to touch a life through Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm so overwhelmed when I see need, uh, need that is so great and, 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 and burdensome to even think about. And I think the thing is, to, Lord, let me touch one life. I can't, I can't maybe do something for 500,000 people, but I can do something for one person, one child, one, one individual. And um, so our prayer is that we might touch our world through Jesus one life at a time. And can you imagine the power of doing that? All of us together doing that every day, touching lives. You see, God never intended for his people uh, to be cloistered away, to be uh, not seen or heard, having no voice, having no influence in the community. And I'm afraid that to a large extent, the Christian church has been that. Uh, we have been so uh, marginalized and pushed to the edges. And, and uh, God wants us to touch our world. Just as Jesus touched the world when he came, uh, when, when he healed, when he blessed, when he encouraged, when he warned, when he instructed, people were profoundly touched and transformed by the power of his love and his grace. And he wanted us to do the same thing, to be Jesus in our world. So God wants to touch our world, and we looked over the last few weeks through love, through loving people, caring for people, for promoting justice, through prayer, through living a magnanimous, uh, generous life, uh, opening ourselves to give time and knowledge and service and material goods, that we could touch people through Jesus, one life at a time, and make a real difference. Are you positively impacting people day by day, from in your own home to your workplace to wherever you are? Are you bringing hope? Are you bringing joy and comfort and and help and encouragement? Is our church gaining a a reputation in the community of of being a place that touches lives? Well, we do a lot of things toward that end, and and I hope that in a growing way that that's what we accomplish, uh, that they see us as a place where God's love flows from us, and that when they come in here, My prayer is that they would recognize something of uh, the love of Christ in us. You see, Jesus had said to his followers, By this will all people know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And uh, today we want to try and move the needle a little further uh, in terms of uh, what God's desire for us is and as a church and how we touch our community Then I want to start by rehearsing something that I want to call the wonder of God's reconciliation. The wonder of God's reconciliation. Did you know that when you were born, you were born with your fists up to God, defying him? You say, well, is that me? That is is all of humanity. 
We're born with a rebellious bent. We're born with a contrary spirit uh, toward God that moves us to selfishly disregard and disrespect God and what his desire is for us. You know, we have a sinful nature that refuses to bring itself under God's authority. It destroys the kind of friendly relationship that God wanted to have with us and did have with us. Uh, But you and I quickly became enemies of God. We were under his wrath and his judgment for what we had uh, done and our disregard for him and our rebellion against him. But God loved us so much that he was not willing to leave us in that dangerous state. So he did something to fix and to reconcile that. He did something to make that relationship, to fix that broken relationship. And there was a first a divine uh, in- initiative on God's part. A divine initiative. Listen to what, it's, what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. God did something to remake us, to to make us a part of his new creation, doing something deeply within us. But he goes on to say, and all of this is from God, who reconciled uh, us to himself through Christ. This was God's initiative. We We weren't looking for God. We weren't searching for God. We didn't care about God. We were in our own... Uh, bent, twisted way, fighting God and and, uh, fighting against him. But he did something for us. He took the initiative when we were separated from him, when we were alienated from him. He took the initiative and he reached out to us through Christ. He, He reconciled. He was the one who, we didn't reconcile ourselves to God. God reconciled us to him. We couldn't do anything to help ourselves. We couldn't wipe out our sins. We couldn't wipe out our rebellion. All of that stuff. Only God could do something. And so God reaches out. um, And it was totally from him. It was his initiative. And secondly, there was a divine acquittal. Uh, We stood condemned before God. We stood before him as, as condemned and judged by him. And yet he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to do something to fix that. And so it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Here, Here it is, not counting people's sins against them. There was a divine acquittal. He said, Rutledge, I'm looking at your, your sheet, and man, you've got, you've got a rap sheet on you, like, and, and, and there was no way. I had no hope. Uh, and, and so what he did was, he acquitted me of all that. He excused all of that. He wiped it out. He forgave it. He removed it totally that I could be forgiven. And thirdly, it, it led to a divine substitution. How did he accomplish all that he accomplished when he came to earth? It was a divine substitution. Listen to what it says in, in uh, verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you get it? What he did was, he took my punishment. He died in my place. He offered himself as a sacrifice and a substitute for me. 
the punishment for my sin was laid upon him. God made him who had no sin. He was absolutely pure. He was absolutely sinless. But because God couldn't tolerate sin, he had to deal with it and judge it. So what he did was he judged our sin, put it on our Savior. He put it on Jesus uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. You exchanged all of your sin and condemnation to Jesus. And Jesus gave you his righteousness. And, and I don't know about you, but this is so absolutely awesome. It, it, we ought to be wonderstruck by this. Every time we sit at communion, we got to go, like, I can't believe this. As I, re- as I reflect and remember what Jesus did for me and that I've been cleansed, he made the relationship, he brought us back together, he made us a part of his family, he, he, he forgave us. And, and, and in, in 1 John 3, John, when he thinks about this, he, he just comes out with this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. And it's all his grace It's all what he did for us. But how does that happen? How do we come to the point of being reconciled by God? How do I receive that gift? Well, God's method for reconciliation, what his plan was, is this. First, he employs believers in ministry with a message to share. He employs believers in a ministry with a message to share. Listen to what, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 18, 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now listen to this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Next. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. God gave to you and he gave to me a ministry. A ministry being ministers, servants of his, sharing the good news of Jesus. To share that. That, that God has done something wonderful and incredible in our life, and his method is to make us ministers. Do you know that you're a minister? That Jesus appointed you as a minister to share the good news of what happened to you, the very thing that we've been talk, talking about. Um, and, and in doing that, to, to committing to you and to me a sacred charge, a, a ministry of reconciliation, that we go and help people who are far from God to have that relationship brought together. He committed it to us, the communication of the message of salvation and good news. And there is hope that you can be forgiven by God. It doesn't matter how bad you've been or what you've done or or how far you've wandered from God or the terrible ways that you've hurt yourself and others. There's hope for you to be restored, to be in God's family, to be his children. And when you drink in the enormity of that statement, God has trusted you and me with the responsibility for sharing that good news. Can I tell you something? He doesn't have any other plan. His plan is simply this, 
to touch people's lives and through them to touch someone, someone else's life. That's his plan. That, that we have come to know him, become a conduit for sharing, becoming his mouthpiece uh, for sharing him uh, with him um, to tell others what he's done for us. Think of it. The responsibility for God's work rests with you and me. We who've been given a responsibility. Now, not only are we ministers having been entrusted with God's message, but we're all, we also have been appointed to represent Jesus. We've been appointed as believers to represent Jesus. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on, be, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you get that? You're not only a servant to proclaim the message, you're not only have a ministry of reconciliation, helping people get it together with God, you are an, an official ambassador of Jesus. You have a diplomatic appointment. An ambassador is somebody who represents his country in a foreign country. The Apostle Paul would tell us elsewhere that, um, in fact, your citizenship, if you're a believer in Jesus, and my citizenship is in heaven. We're in a place where we're foreigners, in a sense. We live in a, in a, in a system, in a place uh, that should, in some senses, be foreign to us. And we have been made representatives of Jesus in this place, in this foreign country of Canada, in this foreign world, as citizens in, uh, of heaven. And, uh, and we live and represent him here. Well, an ambassador also speaks for his country. He presents the message of his country or her country. He's consistent with it. And so here we are representing him. Here we are speaking for our, uh, our country, if you will. And thirdly, an ambassador represents his leader. He, he, he goes and speaks on behalf of that leader. So you are speaking on behalf of of Jesus Christ, your leader, sharing the, this incredible message, this hope that is ours. And, and wherever you are, in the home you, in which you live, uh, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school place, in the clubs that you're in, the people that you uh, rub shoulders with, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What would people think about your Lord, your leader, on the basis of how you live, how you treat others? Uh, what kind of a representative are you as an official representative of Jesus when you say, oh yeah, you're, you're a Christian. You go to that Unionville Alliance Church on 16th Ave. What, what conclusions do they come about Jesus when they look and examine our life as they interact with us? Do they see the love and humility and kindness and purity of Christ? Or by our very lifestyle, do we bring shame to Christ? Are we a turnoff? Are, 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 do people say, if, if, that's, if that's what Christianity is, I've seen those people, I've dealt with those people, uh, I don't want anything to do with them. 
So not only are we ministers with a message of reconciliation, not only are we appointed ambassadors, but he goes on to say that we're workers that co-labor with God. We work as co-laborers with God. In, uh, in chapter 6 in verse 1 and 2, as God's co-workers, you get that? You are a co-worker with God. God has a business. He has a mission for it. And, and he partners with us. We are God's co-workers. And we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God has chosen to work with us. God has chosen to use us. To, to, uh, in his great mission to reconcile people to himself. He chose to include us. He didn't, but he didn't leave us on our own. Can I tell you, he does the heavy lifting. I, I feel so inadequate in what I do. I can't, I can't do what only God can do. But he assures me, the scripture that was read this morning, and lo, I'm with you. He gives this, I have all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he gives us an impossible task, but he joins us in that. We are co-laborers, co-workers with God. Think about it. He doesn't have another plan. This is his only plan. You and I are his plan. And that's an awesome responsibility and it's a huge privilege. Have you wrapped your mind around that? That the whole future, the whole spiritual future of people is in part in our, in our hands, in our court. And uh, you are God's method of expanding his family and reconciling people to himself. Now, I want you to think for a minute about your own journey. You who have become followers of Jesus Christ. Can you think of somebody who really impacted your life? God used somebody. Maybe it was your mom or your dad or a brother or a sister. Maybe even your son or your daughter. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was somebody at work. But God uses somebody to help us. Uh, statistically, 85 to, 95, uh, 85 to 90% of people who come, become followers of Jesus Christ do so not through mass media, not through television, uh, not, not through mass meetings, uh, not through just reading a book. And not, you know what it happens? 85 to 90% of people who come to faith in Christ, it's a friend or a family member that helped them come to faith in Jesus Christ. To highlight this further, when the the gospel writers write the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of those books is punctuated at the end with a call from Jesus after he's been resurrected from the dead, after he's paid the penalty for our sin, and before he goes back to heaven, he gives them marching orders. And and in... uh, uh, in Matthew 28, as we heard, it was go make disciples of all nations. Here's, here's what you need to do. In Mark 16, it's go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Luke 24, it's repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations. And you are witnesses of these things. 
And in John's gospel, it says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And in Acts, when we start the the church, right in the first few verses of Acts, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the age, and ends of the world, excuse me. You, You might be saying, who, me, be God's spokesperson, be his representative, get the word out. The people might put their hope in Jesus. I mean, we can come up with a thousand reasons why this is not a good idea. In fact, sometimes I think, really, Lord? Really? Do you know what I'm like? Of course he knows what I'm like. Do you know what we're like? We're, sometimes we're unreliable. Sometimes you, we, we can't be counted on. We're up and down and we're excited and then we don't care. And, and I, I can think of all these reasons. And there are all kinds of obstacles that would keep us from doing something like that. I mean, not the least of which is fear. All kinds of fear. Fear that if we say something to somebody, they, we might not have the answers to questions that they would have. And so we just don't want to risk that. Uh, we, we may be fearful of being misunderstood. Or maybe fear of ridicule or fear of rejection or being labeled as some kind of religious freak or fanatic or a Bible thumper or something Uh, that just doesn't, uh, we don't want to be associated with. And we get inhibited, don't we? Um, We say, it's not me to be that way. It's not like me to do that. And we live in a a kind of a society that is, um, well, we've privatized privatized religion. And so it's, it's okay. You can have a faith. You can have beliefs. Just keep them to yourself. They're not to be shared. This is, this is something just private. And, uh, and boy, if you try and say, I have an answer for something, uh, how arrogant are you to suppose that you have the answers and that your way is right? And, and so we kind of get uh, fearful and sometimes, let's face it, we have a cold heart. We really don't care about others. We, we, we really, you know, struggle with that because I, I, my heart doesn't ache when I see somebody who doesn't know Christ. And perhaps not being caring and can't being bothered is a big issue that we face. So what kind of motivation is there for doing this? Paul, what is it, what is it that drives you, Paul? What is it that that motivates you. And Paul gives us two things that really motivate him to to do this, to share the good news. The first thing is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 5, and verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul says this, We make it our goal to please him, to please God, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. He was just talking about what death means to him. Um, for we, here's what he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. He says, when I think about what motivates me, when I think about giving, been given a trust, a ministry, a responsibility, an ambassadorship, a co-worker uh, 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 status, 
when I think about what God has asked me to do, one of the things that really gets me is that one day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give account for what I've done or for what I haven't done. And so he, he thinks it, it's a sober thought. You, think, you, you thought, well, I, I prayed I became a Christian and so there's no accountability for my life because God has covered all my sins. There is accountability and one day you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you'll have to give an account for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And Paul says, when I think about this, I think, man, I've got I've to give an account for this. And so he, he found that so sobering. Each one of us will give account for what we've done. You know, the only thing that you can take with you out of this world is other people and your faith. Everything else stays. Everything else is gone. But the fear of the Lord, the respect for God, reverence for God, this, this healthy fear kept Paul focused on what he needed to do. It was only eternal things that last. And, and persuading people was high on his agenda because he knew one day he'd have to give an account for God. Uh, one day he would stand there and, and uh, be asked about how faithful he was in caring about his loved ones and, and stand before Jesus. And he said, that really motivates me, the thought of that. But Paul, is there something else? He said, yes, it's the love of Jesus that motivates me. It's the love of Jesus. In, uh, in uh, chapter 5, verses 12 to 17, it says this. Uh, see, Paul was criticized a lot. And he's talking about this. We're not, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving an opportunity to take pride in us so that we can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. He goes on to say, if we're out of our minds, as some say, it's for God. You know, some people are going to think you flipped your wig. They're going to think you're nuts. You're talking about this religious stuff. You used to be out and do the things that we did. Now you're changed. And, and you're talking this religious stuff. Paul, Paul knew what that was about. He said, he's out of his mind. This guy's nuts. He's crazy. He said, if, if, we're, if I'm out of my mind, it's for God's sake. And, and he says, uh, if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. So when he thinks about the, you know, the kind of pushback that he's getting from people and, and whatnot, he says... If I'm out of my mind, it's for God's sake. And he goes on to say, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For, listen to this. For Christ's love, just back one second, please. Uh, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all died. Next. And he died for all, that those who should live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's new creation. Uh, new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. He said, you know, the thing that really gets me is the love of, the love of Jesus. The love Jesus had to do what he did. The love of Jesus to leave heaven's glory, to leave the, the worship of angels, to leave his exalted position, to take on the, the restrictions of humanity and human flesh, 
to, to live with, uh, without that, that freedom that he had as a spirit being in heaven, to live as a pauper, as a poor person, to go about, to, uh, to under, uh, come under uh, criticism and, and, uh, and, and to be maligned, uh, to experience all that we experience, and, and uh, this extraordinary love would move him to leave all of that, including the, the hatred and the ridicule and the torture and dying. And when I think of who he is and what he does, Paul says, it just it, it constrains me, it motivates me, that if he went and did that much, how, how can I not follow his example? He's inspired. He's motivated to serve him. He shares the good news, just like Jesus' example. He says, I I no longer live for myself. Jesus gave it all up for us. Now I'll give it all up for him because of the love that he has. And he has a whole new perspective. He has whole new eyes. He said, "I I used to look at people through the lens of humanity. I'd see people I didn't like. I'd see people that that just bothered me. I see people that are reprehensible. He said, I don't see people that way anymore. He says, I see them with new eyes. He said, I, I see people not for who they are now, but what they can be. I see them as people that Christ died for uh, and, and uh, that he wants to redeem. And so he says, I look through Jesus' eyes. And Paul says, I once regarded Jesus that way. I, I saw him as nothing but a renegade, a a, a, a teacher, a rabbi. I didn't understand that he is the son of God and God the son and all he's done and his power and majesty. Paul, how do you, under, how do, how do you uh, keep going with, with the inhibitions that you'd have and with the ridicule that you might have and this self-consciousness and maybe worried about your reputation and what people say with you? Paul, Paul, how do you do that? He said, I'm compelled and I'm motivated when I think of the love of Christ. Those other things don't become so big. We've been given a weighty responsibility, a huge responsibility. We've also been given a holy privilege to be God's ambassadors of Jesus, God's co-workers, to be given a ministry, a trust of the gospel. And uh, that we could be used of God to help other people be reconciled to him. See, I, I couldn't do that. Hey, listen, you're sitting here because somebody did it for you. You're here because somebody, and God, that's God's method. And so my challenge is for us that God would motivate us that we have something so incredible, a relationship with God, eternal life. <laughs> and it's what leaders have been working on as in, in your church uh, we've been working over the last a couple of years refining our, our mission statement, vision statement, talking about a strategy, how we can accomplish this, how we can, how we can uh, mobilize a, a total force of people that are out there. Uh, we said that our, 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 uh, our vision is to touch people through Jesus one life at a time. I'll tell you, the greatest thing you can do to touch a life for Christ is be a minister of reconciliation and bring them, uh, bring them to Christ who will reconcile them to God. And the only hope this world has is the church. I know we were talking through some of our statements and one of our statements was this and our, and our staff gave me a little pushback on this. And this was a statement I made. The hope of the world 
is in Jesus. Uh, excuse me, is in the church. And our staff is going, now we don't like that. Uh, I said, why don't, you, why don't you like that? Well, because our hope is in Jesus. I understand our hope is in Jesus. But he's given the task of sharing his love, his message to the church. So by extension, the hope of the world is in the church. Look at us. We can be disappointing at times. We can disappoint ourselves. But here's the thing. When God works with us, he does the miraculous. You know what the bottom line is? Only he can get the credit for that. Only he can, can, can take ownership and get honor for that because we could never do what only he does. And what Jesus loves to do is take poor, weak, incompetent people and use them for his glory and use them to help somebody come to faith in Christ. And he empowers our feeble efforts and makes them effective. Look at us. We may, be not, we may not be much, but God can take and work through us. Together with God's help, we can have the greatest impact on anybody's life when we introduce them to Jesus Christ. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, um, there were some problems in the church in, uh, at Corinth. And um, the Apostle Paul, uh, talking to them about, you know, some lined up with this teacher and that teacher and the other teacher, and they're kind of separated and divided. And he said, uh, you know, he said this. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And all of us working together can do something that none of us can totally do just by ourselves. And you say, I really don't know what I have to offer. I'm, I'm really not well-versed theologically. I'm, I'm not a good talker. I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I can do to help. But when we do it as a team, when all of us participate, when, when there are people who are showing the love of Christ in, in, through their acts and attitude, we talk about uh, loving and justice and, and all of these things that, that, that we're doing and praying. When we take and have people who are cultivating the soil, because there's such a wonderful example of Christ that, that people say, like, what's with you? Why are you the way you are? It's about Jesus cultivating the soil, planting a seed here or there, and, and somebody else watering it and nurturing it. But in the end, it's God who gives the increase. And so he may want to take you, and you can be involved in and Alpha, you can be preparing food for Alpha. Or you can be uh, doing printing and sending stuff out. You can invite somebody to church or to Alpha. There's so many things that you can do. And when we all do something together, God can do some incredible things through that. And um, we want to take this to our life groups and talk within our life groups. What can we do? What can we do as a life group? How do, how do we... How do we uh, participate together. And I want to tell you that the greatest thing can happen is that a life can be changed for all of eternity. What greater is that? What greater thing can we aspire to do? Um, now, consequently, and this is God's timing, not ours, um, there's, uh, there's a conference coming up. It's called the Go Conference. In your bulletin, 
um, we had one of these brochures placed. GO stands for Global Outreach Conference. It's a Friday night and Saturday. And uh, by a very special um, thing that happened this past week, this $25 conference has been offered to us gratis. There's a code in there. And you'll see that partner church code, free. And so I want to um, uh, just show you a video of this, of this conference. Uh, and I want you to, uh, to, for you to consider. Uh, that's the 26th, Friday night, and Saturday the 27th. Just watch this, please. The great missionary C.T. Studd once said, Some wish to live within the sound of a church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world that does not believe what we believe as Christians. We live in a world where our culture and our values and our politics and our laws go against what the truth of the Bible is. And yet, my friends, God is calling us to engage, to invade, to go out from the church and to reach our communities for Jesus. This is why we've designed Go Conference. Go Conference 2018 is happening October 26th and 27th. Here's what we talk about. How do we do this rescue shop thing? How do we share our faith with people that are different from us, don't believe what we believe? How do we build bridges from, with people from different religious and ethnic backgrounds? We're going to talk about igniting a passion in every Christian in sharing the gospel of Jesus and transforming our world for Christ. We've got some powerful speakers this year. Uh, We've got Dominic Russo coming. He runs a ministry that impacts entire nations within the span of one week. It's incredible to see what God is doing in and through his life and ministry. And I am inviting him to share with us how we can see entire communities, cities, and maybe even our nation transformed with the power of the gospel. We also have Kamal Salim. You may have heard of him. He's the author of the book, Blood of Lambs. He used to be a former radical Muslim who was a terrorist. He did a lot of things to go against the gospel. In fact, that was his mission to kill Jews and Christians. And yet one day he had an encounter with Jesus. I'm telling you, you have to hear about it. Completely changed his life. He's a man on fire now to share the gospel all over the world. We also have speakers like Kevin Harney who's going to come and talk to us about mobilizing the church to do community outreach. We have someone like Faitine coming who's so powerful when it comes to sharing about justice and compassion issues. We also have Tim Barnett who's going to give us practical advice on how we can defend our faith when we're challenged about what we believe to be the truth of God's word. Friend, you don't want to miss this powerful conference. Go Conference 2018, October 26th and 27th. Two locations this year, GTA East, going to be at Global Kingdom Ministries on Markham Road and 401. And on the West, we're going to be at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton. So it doesn't matter what part of the city you're in, you can attend Go Conference this year. All speakers will speak live in person at both locations on Friday night and on Saturday. I hope to see you there. Check out goconference.ca. And because your pastor believes in this conference, you're a partnering church. And what that means is everyone here today gets tickets for free. You can register online, by phone, or using the registration card attached to the flyer. Check out the flyer for more details. Hope to see you there. Hey, what a great opportunity. And it's free. And wouldn't it be great if a couple of hundred people from our church were able to go and sit in on that and and, uh, and 
learn and be challenged. You know, you know what the Apostle Paul says? Oh, he says, plead with them, urge them. You're a minister of the gospel. People are going into a Christless eternity. And he invites us to be his example, to reach out with love. Let's, uh, let's sing our faith.